talk a little bit about parenting and how to give a blessing to the next generation. You know, as I was thinking about this and I was reading a couple books about parenting, I realized that although I have and am parenting three young people and children, I really don't know what in the world I'm doing. How many of you feel that way? Like they're guinea pigs, you know, you might as well tell them, you're a guinea pig, sorry about this. I should have paid more attention to what my parents were doing, but I really didn't. And uh, so we maybe just tell them right up front, I've started a trust fund for you, not for college, but for counseling. (laughs) And I'll go with you to every session and I'll just plead guilty. Yes, I did that. I said that. I was a total idiot. Will you please forgive me? And can you help my son or daughter get out of this jam? Uh, Maybe that would be the most appropriate thing. But I was thinking about this and I was reading a book that kind of gave a good illustration of this. Um, what if I pulled out today and I had set, pushed you all aside and in the right in the middle of the room here we had a huge jigsaw puzzle. And uh, the jigsaw puzzle, how many of you like putting together jigsaw puzzles? Yeah, the rest of us would rather just go out and watch a movie or something, right? Yeah. So we had this big jigsaw puzzle in the middle of the room and it's pretty intricate and we could tell that parts of it are beginning to be put together, but we noticed pretty quickly three things about the jigsaw puzzle. Number one, there are no border pieces to the jigsaw puzzle. I mean, that's a bummer right there, right? There are no border pieces to the jigsaw puzzle. When we start piecing it together, we notice that there are pieces of another jigsaw puzzle that don't go with this one that have been added to the box. That ever happened to you? Yeah. I think my brothers used to do that on purpose, just to have fun. Okay? And then the third thing is we have no lid to the box. The lid to the box has been lost. So there's no border pieces. Other pieces have been mixed in. And the final vision of what this thing's supposed to look like is gone. And sometimes that's the way parenting feels, doesn't it? You know, no border pieces, other stuff's mixed in, and how is this thing supposed to come out? I'm not quite sure, but I'm just going to dig in and do it. And many times as parents, we find ourselves, and I find myself almost curling up in a fetal position and just trying to get by. (laughs) Just get me through the next day, Lord. This is exactly the challenge that the Israelites had who were facing as they were entering the promised land. They were to empower the next generation to do something they had never done before, and that was to take the promised land, to settle it, to move from being wandering people to being wholehearted worshiping people who were also people who worked the land and became agricultural and became farmers and lived off the land, not off of manna that was given to them every day from the sky. And so they were going to have to empower the next generation to take their faith and their abilities to go beyond where they had gone, coming out of Egypt and wandering in the desert. But they were distracted, just like we are. And they were distracted mostly because of their failings. They had experienced disappointment with God himself that resulted in bitterness and it caused them to wander in the desert aimlessly for 40 years. And because of their aimless wandering and their disobedience, God had told them they would not be allowed to go into the promised land, but he would raise up their sons in their place to go to a place they had never gone to before. You know, often in our own lives, we're preoccupied by our failures in our faith, 
or the failures of our faith right now are in the past. And that can be our greatest distraction to empowering the next generation when we're preoccupied with trying to cover the failures of our own faith or the feeling of inadequacy inside that I have anything to give to the next generation, to bless them, to honor them, to lift them up, to be a riser on the staircase, so as it were, to lift them up. And sometimes we are just distracted by our own failures, just as the ancient Israelites were. Empowerment is about releasing this next generation to follow God wholeheartedly to a place spiritually and maybe even sometimes physically that we've never been before. Now today we're talking about leaving this legacy of empowerment. And I just want to define for you what I'm talking about just in a few phrases this morning. Leaving a legacy of empowerment for the next generation means firming up my own faith and expressing it in grace so I can equip the people who follow me to take their faith to a whole new level. Building a legacy means empowering the next generation to take their faith to another level, but how do we practically do that? In Joshua chapter five, it gives us some insight into this. How can we, even though we are people who are fail, have failed and are frail and sometimes don't feel maybe empowered on the inside of ourselves, how do we get the fortitude inside of ourselves to be somebody who not only blesses the next generation and equips the next generation, but we empower them to believe God to take their faith to a level that we may have never experienced before. And so, because I'm a pastor, I see three things in this passage. Do you ever notice that? Pastors always see three things. It's really triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the time. Three things I see here that can help us empower the next generation. The first one is this, empowering the next generation means returning them into God's hands. It means returning them into God's hands. We notice from the text of scripture in Joshua 5 that the Israelites were having some incredible success in settling the other side of the Jordan River. And that they had defeated two large kings, Og and Bashan, who were huge kings, held strong entrenchment, strong empowerment. They were able to take them. And so it says, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart. And they were paralyzed in fear because of them. They were paralyzed in fear, it says. And at that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of the Israelites. And so Joshua made flint knives and he circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle who had left Egypt had died in the wilderness. And those who left Egypt had who had been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years of the wilderness had been circumcised. And so I wonder how did those men who were men and women who were banned from the land feel when they were to give a blessing to those who were promised in the land? You know, so often we say we want other, our kids to go beyond us. And we'll say we want them to be better than us and But you know, our actions speak louder than our words. There are times where we don't give them that verbal blessing. We don't say that we believe in the faith that God has put into them. 
We don't give the actions of dedication to them that are acts of dedication, ceremonies, and also consistency in our dedication to them. And that is why it's both important to ceremonially and consistently show that we give our kids back into the hands of God. When we dedicate children to God here at daybreak, we are following an ancient ritual that was handed down to us by the nation of Israel, by the Jewish people, which was to take their children and to dedicate them at the temple. And if they, were a, if they were also a male child, they were to be circumcised at the temple that day. Jesus even says in scripture, it says Jesus eight days later, eight days into his life here on earth, when the baby was circumcised, they named him Jesus, the name given by the angel even before he conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. But what was happening was the Israelites, when they were wandering in the desert, they were not observing this ceremony of dedication. And they were not following up on having their sons circumcised. And so all of these people had not been hearing for 40 years about what? The exodus the goodness of God, the deliverance of God, the salvation of God. Because when they would do that, they would recall and tell the stories and hold the Passover feast. And remember when what? The death angel passed over the sons of Egypt so they could be preserved and so they could leave the land and go into a new land. There is a lot of rich, not just imagery, but history here. And there is an indictment of the people. You have forgotten the goodness and faithfulness of God. And you have forgotten to dedicate your children to the faithfulness of God. And so Joshua is called upon to make flint knives and to circumcise. I can imagine how this went. Okay, let's get all the male guys together. All you guys that are of warring age. And we're going to go to this place outside the camp. We're going to have a male retreat. (laughs) Cool. We're going to have campfires. We're going to tell stories of old. We're going to pass down trinkets from sages. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Joshua gets up the first morning of the retreat. He stands up and he's got this whole basket full of knives made out of rocks. And he says, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to reinstitute this thing called circumcision. And they all look at him and goes, who idea was that? I'm not a baby anymore. And Joshua just standing there with this big basket of flint knives goes, that's God's idea. You know, when you're a leader, what you tend to do when people don't like what you're doing, is you just blame it on God. It's his idea. I don't know. I didn't want to build this new worship center. It's his idea. He said, take up a big offering. You guys got lots of extra cash laying around, you know? And uh, so Joshua says, no, the Lord commanded us to do it. You know, we kind of get caught in this whole thing. I know so many pastors, I talked to about three or four pastors this week, they said, you're not preaching on that passage. You're not going to say circumcision in church, are you? You're not. I just avoid that passage. I just go right up. If we avoid that passage, we're avoiding learning about the goodness of having those times where we bring our children before the Lord and we say, no, we're handing them back to you. And we do this ceremony of handing them back. They're a gift given from you. And we do that ceremonially. And it's good for us to do that, to stand in front of our congregation and say, and our friends and our family members, 
This child is a gift from God. I give them back into his hands because in his hands is the best place for them to live their life. In the hands of the Father where they can hear his voice, where they can be empowered, where they can discover their own faith, back into the hands of the Heavenly Father. And we do that in a ceremony, but we also need to do it with consistency. They need to know that we believe the best place for them to live their lives is in the hands of the Almighty and that we trust him and we believe in him. They need to see in our lives that we're people who are on a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ, that we do celebrate grace. We are a celebration of grace. We tell them our story. When's the last time you told your children how you came to Christ and what God's doing in your life and how he's changing you? When's the last time you sat and sang a song with them or shared a story with them or went to a movie with them and then afterwards just talked about, hey, what were some of the themes of that? And do we agree or disagree? What do you think of that? When's the last time you just sat with them when they were going through a time of challenge in their life and you just said, hey, I see that you're going through a time of challenge and I don't know all the answers, but I just wanted to hear you because I hear you saying that you're struggling with that and I understand that. It's a challenging time for you. I get it and I'm here with you. I don't know how to fix it, but I can pray for you and I can put you back into the hands of God because as parents, we tend to, what? Take them back in, back into our hands. And they need that time. And you know, what I've noticed is that it changes. It changes as they grow. As they go through different transitions, there are different ways of expressing to them and God that they're back into God's hands. You know, when they're small, uh, we do a lot of, of kind of modeling and mirroring God for them. But as they grow, there's these different transitions they go through. And I've noticed as they go through a transition and they're kind of lost, so am I. I get lost sometimes too. You know, I start doing the things like when they were a young child. A couple of weeks ago, when our team was in Ecuador and we were in this little Indian village, and we were in the little Indian village with the Shuar Indians, and it was the first time that anybody uh, had been in that village who was not from that village. And we, did, we looked like we weren't from that village. We weren't the same color. We had rubber boots on and long pants and all this stuff on and our, our hats and our sunblock and our sunglasses and our DEET spray on. And, you know, they're like, hey, get in the canoe. We're going. They're like three years old rowing us up the canoe, you know, and our life jackets on. We were doing vacation Bible school with the kids one day. And on that same day in the morning, we were digging a well with the men of the village because they didn't have clear water. They didn't have clean water. A lot of parasites in their water and they were drinking out of the river. And so we were trying to get them to dig a well. And so we're working together with them digging a well. Well, the night before, one of the gentlemen who was digging the well with us that day, the night before around his fire at his house, and that's what they did. They just invited you over to sit around the fire at their house their little home. And uh, he was telling us, and he, through, through the, the missionary who was translating, we were having a conversation there. He was saying, I, I, I'm living a pretty sad life. I started to read the Bible and I realized that my wife and I are living a sad life. We drink too much. We, uh, you know, we haven't been raising our children right. Uh, I'm a school teacher. I'm trained to be a school teacher. I should know better than that. But I need God. I need God and I need his word in my life. And this was happening all the time. By the end of the week, over 20 of these people accepted Christ as their savior. It's amazing what God was doing and is doing in their village. But the next day, I noticed when we had vacation Bible school, he was digging in the morning. He came to vacation Bible school in the afternoon covered with the sandy soil that was all over him from being down. When you dig a well, you're down there. 
You're down, dooby-doo, down, down. You're down. I mean, after a while, I'm like, hey, I'm going to stay up here and pray for you guys. I'm like, Lord, give them fresh water or it's my head. This is the tribe that used to shrink heads in South America. And we did hit fresh water the next day. But that day he came in the afternoon and he, he came in and there must have been 30 or 40 kids in the bottom of the stilted you know, house that we were in and we were on the dirt floor there coloring and, and doing the Bible lessons with the kids and they just totally got it. And he came over right, covered with dirt and just laid down next to his boy and started coloring the page with him. So he was showing him his, his newfound dedication. He was expressing it but it changes as you go along. There's times where you intervene and you go to school and you show up, right? And there's times where you show up in another way. On Friday, my son was in an interview to get into medical school. Medical school isn't easy to get into. So he's having his interview to get into medical school. He's a senior in college. He's trying to land these interviews, take the medical exams, do all that kind of stuff. And so my wife, Debbie, calls me and I'm, I'm like five minutes from staff meeting and she says, it's Josh's interview today. I just wanted to remind you of that. Oh, that's right. So it would have been pretty inappropriate for me to drive out to Erie to the medical school and show up and lecture them on what the goodness of this kid is. And you really need to let him into your school. But it was more appropriate to text him a message. You are more than the sum of the tests you've taken. They would, be, they would be honored and valued to have you in their school. God bless you today. Go with God and know that he's going with you. I don't always know what to do. Do you always know what to do? But I know I need to show up in some way. I need to show up and show up saying, I'm putting you back in God's hands. You're his son, you're his daughter. He fully, dearly loves you. As you are going through this life and as you are struggling with your faith, just like I struggle with mine, and as you fail at times and as you just live your faith out, be authentic, be real. Your kids, although at times all as kids we want our parents to be perfect, at some point it clicks in, oh, they're not perfect. But if they can say, oh, they're not perfect, but they're authentic and they're living a life of faith, and they keep placing me back into God's hands, that gives them the opportunity to do the same. Because at some point, they need to dedicate themselves to God and keep dedicating themselves to God. And that's a way we can empower the next generation by living an authentic, real faith and by putting them consistently and ceremonially back into the hands of God. The second point that I see this morning about empowering the next generation is empowering the next generation means trusting God to provide for their future. Trusting God to provide for their future. It's interesting as they come in, they start to, to, to camp in the land. And for years and years, they've been eating this stuff called manna. But it says that the very next day when they came in, and began to settle the land. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain, harvested where? From the land. No manna appeared that day, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. You know what the word manna literally means? 
It means, what is it? When they first went out, they didn't even know it was something to eat. Now, have you ever, like, approached a meal and you weren't sure it was something really to eat? That's not a good feeling. So manna isn't something that you and I would kind of dress up, put gravy on, and serve at Thanksgiving for dinner, you know? That's one of our big meals of the year, right? We do the big Thanksgiving thing or Christmas thing. It wasn't that. You don't want someone coming to Thanksgiving dinner and saying, what is that? (laughs) And so manna really didn't look that appetizing, but it took care of the job. I mean, it must have been somewhat like a power bar, I guess. Because it had all his nutrients, it had all the stuff they needed in it. But it says that the day that they came into the land and they were to be empowered to take the land and they started to camp in the land and eat the grain in the land, that God cut off the manna and said, no, I'm going to provide for you in a brand new way. And that new way of providing for you will require that you be more engaged. Because farming the land and getting crops from the land require that they be more engaged with what God's providing And so God wanted them to be more engaged in what he was doing and how he was providing. And as your children grow up and as we bless the next generation, we need to help them begin to see and them be engaged. This is how God's providing for you. This is what God's doing for you. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, nutritionally, God is providing for you. He sees your needs and he fills them up in different ways. And as parents, we need to allow God to provide for our children in brand new ways. Maybe before we, he was providing through us and now they have to get a job and be on their own and provide. And part of growing up is learning how to let God provide through your own work of your hands. That's what happens as we grow up. And there's that release of our children into God's hands and letting him provide for them in a brand new way. You know, as I was getting ready for a Uh, to preach this message, I I was reading through a couple of books and skimming some of them and reading through some different ones on parenting. And I noticed that as I read some of those books and looked at some surveys about parenting and raising kids and what what it takes to help somebody move from being a small child to a healthy adult, that there kept coming up like these three ingredients that somebody needs in order to move from being a small child to a healthy, kind of these three hungers of the soul if you would, that need to be fed, just like we need to be fed spiritually, there's this inner nutrition that needs to happen. And in his book, Grace-Based Parenting, uh, Tim Kimmel speaks of these three hungers that drive our inner man, our inner life. And he says these three inner needs are the need for security, the need for significance, and the need for strength, for security, significance, strength. And he says security is met by love. Our kids need to have like heaping helpings of love along the way. They need hugs. They need to laugh. They need you to tickle them. They need you to play with them. If you've ever noticed kids when they're young, they just come play with me. Get down on the floor with me. You know, and it evolves, but they still need your love. They need your listening voice as they get older. They need you to know you're on their side. You know, we don't really spoil kids with too much love. Sometimes it's too much permission to do the things they shouldn't be doing. But we don't spoil kids by loving them too much. But at times when we're withholding that love or, oh man, I just don't have any reserve at the end of the day. We need God, fill me up with love. 
Children feel secure when they receive regular and generous helpings of affection from their parents in proper and appropriate ways. To love them. Let them know that they're loved. They feel secure. They feel they're part of an honoring family. They learn how to give love and receive love from us. It's patterned. They're watching us. They're interacting with us. Okay? The second thing they need is that need for significance. They need, and the need for significance is met by letting them know they have a purpose in this world. They have a place to play, a part to play. They have a contribution to make. And that starts in their family, in their home. That can even start with something as small as family chores. Everyone's needed in this home to, to keep the home running. Everyone's got their part to play. Everyone's got their role to do. Everyone is important. And when they're gracefully admonished and given guidelines, it also gives them a sense of significance, okay? Moral guidelines and consequences that they suffer if they don't follow the guidelines gives them a sense of significance. They want to know what is right, what is wrong, where do the puzzle pieces fit, as it were. And you're to help them as they grow. The third thing they need is this need for strength. They not only need significance, they also need strength. And strength is met with what? It's met with hope. Strength is met when we give someone hope. Think about people who have given you strength in your life. What they do? They gave you true hope to go beyond where you were. When you were stuck somewhere in grief or sorrow, when you were stuck somewhere in development and you just couldn't move, they helped you get a hold of hope. And when you got a hold of hope, it propelled you, it empowered you, to go to another level, to a different place in your life where you were. And the wisest way to groom our children for spiritual maturity is not to isolate them from evil. You know, this world is corrupt. It's not to airbrush the environment around them, but to debrief with them and help them and help them to see there is hope beyond this. Even as we look back to 9-11 and the devastation was there, we have to tell them there is hope and there is hope in God. And there will come a day where justice, God will bring his justice and it will roll like a river. And you know, you can be someone who brings hope to this world if you let God's hope come into you as a small child, as a teenager, as an adult, and you can go the next mile with your faith as you become a person of hope in a hopeless generation. It's easy to want us to build safety around our kids, but that doesn't always build hope. We need to debrief with them and talk with them and interact with them and let them get those scrapes on their knees and their elbows, as it were, spiritually. Let them suffer setbacks and talk with them about that because they're going to live in the real world and they're living in the real world. The delivery system for all of this stuff that they need, the inner nourishment they need, is grace. Is grace. Not fear based parenting, not legalistic parenting, but grace based parenting where we let God work from the inside out in their lives, giving them security, significance, and strength. And I don't know about you, but I, I admitted this earlier. Sometimes I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do the delivery system of grace. Sometimes I feel like, well, I know what they need to do, so I'm just going to have a meeting with them and tell them what they need to do. My dad used to call that laying the law down. <laughs> now, I know how to lay the law down. And there are times when you need to have those guidelines. 
the law needs to be laid down and followed up on. And that gives them a feeling of significance. If you do that with consistency, and if you do that in a way that as the law is laid down, they understand that you're training them to make decisions on their own so that the law doesn't always have to be laid down. My uncle used to put it this way, Joel, I'm training you to govern yourself. (laughs) My uncle Ernie used to say, he was my Sunday school teacher, Joel, and he always called me out in the middle of the class, when your uncle is a Sunday school teacher, that happens to you. And when you're the guy who's always goofing off in Sunday school class, that happens to you too. And he would tell me that. But my uncle was also an empowering man in another way. He would, yeah, he would lay the law down. He would help you see, but he would take you fishing too. He shared his love and his vibrant love for God. He wasn't afraid to talk about Christ and God and what God, and he saw God in everything in nature. So anytime we were out and we found a little broken bird or squirrel or chipmunk, he'd bring it home and mend it and he'd build a cage for it in his backyard and we'd go down and feed it and take care of it. You know, he let his life and his love be real and tangible. And he helped us see grace in his life. And he extended grace to us. You know, whenever I feel like I just don't have what it takes, I just have to go back to the words of the Apostle Paul. It says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is what? Made perfect in weakness. Let's repeat that phrase together. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And you just tell God, Lord, I'm weak. I need an infusion of your grace so that I can hand down to my kids the things that they need that make them strong on the inside and propel them in their faith to go further than I ever will with mine. And that's all good. That's all good. But I need to hand down the things that they need. And sometimes in our family... We hand down things. In a couple months, we're going to be doing, in a month or so, this Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series called Beneath the Surface and uh, What Lies Beneath the Surface. And one of the things that we'll do in this series, and and the author of the book is going to come, he's going to help us in a one-day workshop actually do this if you want to be part of it, is do a genogram. That's to go back over your life and your family of origin and kind of look at patterns in your family. Because there are patterns. When you live with people, their patterns rub off on you. That's what it means in the Bible when it says, the sins of the fathers shall be visited on the children to the third and fourth generations, but to those who follow God and obey his commands, blessings are given to thousands of generations. So you can be the generation that turns the tide. Amen? And be the the generation of blessing and empowerment and love. But sometimes we need to look back. What are some of the family trends? Are there family trends of anger? Are there family trends of divorce? Are there family trends of alienation? Are there family trends of blessing that I need to agree with? What are the family trends that I need God's grace to handle? And what am I passing down to the next generation? Am I passing down security and significance and strength or am I passing down other things? What we're passing down can be covered in grace. If there's things where we've failed or gone wrong, they can be forgiven, they can be healed, and we can turn around what we're passing down. Let's watch this video together about what we hand down to the next generation. We're all handed down. 
something. It's not like they started with these. They were handed down to them. And probably their daddies didn't know any better. I'm not even sure if they knew what they were doing. Maybe so. But maybe not. It's hard to tell. circle can be closed and he says that it can happen today so I ask you today what are you handing down do you want it to change do you want it to remain the same because it's something good that's been handed down to you and you, you want to keep it going, but maybe you just stopped because you felt like, uh, maybe I'm not the one to hand it down. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. To your children, to your grandchildren, to your nieces and your nephews, to the children that are in your small group, to the children that are in your church, to the children that roam your neighborhood who stop and talk to you for a moment. Like a little guy on his bike the other day just stopped and talked to me for a moment. It's a divine moment to hand something down to that child. What are you going to pass down to them? A blessing, an empowerment, reservation, a curse, or the grace and the truth of God that empowers them to take their faith to a level where maybe you've never gone before. Third thing I want to talk to you about this morning is empowering the next generation means declaring God's blessing over them. Declaring God's blessing over them. It says, so God raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there they, where they were in camp until they were healed. 
Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal unto this day. Notice what happens when the people of Israel are just honest about some of their failings. They're failing to acknowledge God and to release their lives into his hand. They're, they're failing not to be grumbling and groaning. They're failure to be thankful to God for providing manna and then produce from the land. Their failure, when they just said, I've failed, and they openly confess their sin, what does God do? He comes and he marks them and he heals them and he rolls away the shame, the crippling shame. That, that word there, the reproach, you can write in your margin, means this, crippling shame. Crippling shame. You see, for over 400 years, the crippling shame of the Israelites had been, you are slaves. You are second-class citizens. And the only thing you're good for is to make bricks and to build buildings for the elite class. You are nothing but a slave with no name. And so for over 400 years, they had lived underneath that. And they lived underneath that same shame, wandering in the desert. Now I'm a wanderer. I was a slave, and now I'm a wanderer. I can't even find the promised place that God has for me. And so they were crippled by that shame. It's not only sin that cripples us. It's the shame of our sin that cripples us. And it's one thing to be forgiven for that sin. It's another thing to allow God in his great grace to wipe away the shame. Because sometimes we ask him for forgiveness, but we hold on to the shame, don't we? We still try to do penance for our sin. We let God forgive it, but we hold on to it. And when we hold on to that shame and that failure, it keeps us from being a blessing. It keeps us folded up looking at our shame rather than open-armed saying, I bless you. You're God's blessed children. And blessing is something that is spoken, that is active, that is faith-filled, that requires activity and action on the part of the person who's blessing the other person. But when we're tripped up and trapped in our shame, it's hard to give a blessing to somebody else. Change comes when we confess our sin to God. Not only let him remove the sin, but remove the guilt. The guilt is gone. You know, I remember as a kid, we used to sing a song in, in uh, Sunday school called Rolled Away. Anybody ever sing Rolled Away? Rolled Away, Rolled Away, Rolled Away. Every burden on my heart rolled away. All my sin had to go neath the crimson flow. Rolled away, rolled away. I remember, I remember this part. Rolled away. Every burden on my heart rolled away. Today, today, you can let God roll it away to take the crippling shame and push it aside and replace it with an empowering spirit that empowers the next generation. God says, on that day, on the day that you confess, on the day, in that moment, I heal and I roll it away. So why are you hanging on to it? 
I, the God of the universe, died on the cross for it, shed my blood for it. In these next couple moments, maybe you just want to breathe a prayer to God. Just bow your head, close your eyes right now. Just go ahead, say, Lord, roll it away. Roll it away like a small child singing that song. Roll it away. Roll away the shame of some of the patterns of my family. Roll away my own sin and my own mistakes and my shortcomings. Roll away not just them, but the shame that cripples me and keeps me from empowering. Just breathe that out to God right now. Lord, roll away. Roll away the shame. Heal us. Give us a vision. Give us a vision of who we are and what you can accomplish in and through us when we've let you roll things away. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So God gave them a new identity, and he gave them kind of the lid to the puzzle, didn't he? God says, this is what the lid to the puzzle looks like. This is my preferable future for you. You are healed and you are shameless. And you walk in empowerment. That's what the lid to the puzzle looks like. If that's, that's the goal. For our children to be healed and for our children to be shameless. In the New Testament, it talks about how we can be shameless before when Jesus Christ comes again and we can be shameless with great joy. That's God's picture for us and for the next generation to live a shameless life. And so I ask you this morning, when it comes to your family legacy and this value of empowerment, what's God calling you to do today? Is he calling you today to entrust their future Is he calling you today to make some dedication? Is he calling you today to lift them up before him? What's he asking you to do today? God's word says that today God's given us a choice. It says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life and that your descendants might live. Our choices affect the next generation. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey him and commit yourself to him. For what? For he is your life. He is your life. Maybe God's calling on you today and as I pray this prayer of empowerment at the end, you want to pray it for the next generation and maybe you want to take it this week and write it down and give it to somebody else and say it to them and speak it to them. But let's just talk to God for a moment in prayer. As I pray this prayer of empowerment, if you agree with it, you pray it too. You can pray it out loud if you want. You can pray it inside, but lift it up to God. Declare a blessing over the next generation. Too many times, too many times our children And the next generation need to hear words of blessing third hand. Oh, yeah, your parents love that about you. They've told me that for years. Well, they've never told me that. Declare the blessing today. Let's talk to God together in prayer. Lord, this next generation desperately needs us to empower them so they can take their faith to another level, to soar to places that we've never been before. 
Use us to empower them to build their faith in you alone. Lord, today, we release them into your hands for that's the best place for them to be. We trust you to provide for their future in any way that you see fit and we declare your blessing over them. Please heal them and remove their shame. May your will be done and your kingdom come to this earth through this generation. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people say, amen. up a pen and a page and I started writing just what I'd say if we were face to face I'd tell you just what you mean to me tell you these simple truths be strong in the Lord and never give up hope you come to do great things So don't live life in fear Forgive and forget But don't forget why you're here Take your time and pray These are the words I would say Last time I saw you You said you were hurting And I felt your pain in my heart tell you that I keep on praying the love will find you where you are. I know cause I've already been there. So please hear these simple truths. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're gonna do great things. I already know. God's got his hand on you so
beautiful song that celebrates handing down truth, yeah, to the next generation. And Joel, I want to thank you this morning because I felt like though today was about focusing on parenting, that I was challenged to even think about what was handed down to me and who are the others in my life that God has called me to hand down his truth to and leaving a legacy not only within our families, but within our world. And I believe that whether you're a parent today or not, that God has spoken something, something to you that you can use that truth to transform your life. You can at least allow, give God permission to, to change something in you. And so every week here in the Daybreak family, we give you a chance to, I guess, give God permission to do some kind of change in you and to focus in on a specific truth that he has said to you. And I have to tell you guys today that no matter what he has spoken to you personally, that through the power of Jesus, you see the cross on the screen, on the wall here, (laughs) through the power of Jesus, you are equipped with everything that you need to hand down a legacy of empowerment and truth and courage and love and grace to your kids and to those around you. You have everything you need through the power of Jesus. And so we give you a chance to process that and how God wants to, re, uh, how he wants you to respond to him and what he wants to do in you. And one of those ways is in your program guide. There's a white response card. Would you mind pulling that out real quick? And on the back, um, there's a place for you to write down the truth that he spoke or a prayer request, something that's going on in your life. And we have a team of people that pray faithfully for you each week. This is kind of your way to admit to your church family, hey, this is something that God's doing in my life, and thank you for praying for me and for joining me in this. Another way that we give you a chance every week here is to pray face-to-face with someone. And so there's a group of people that are back in the green room right now waiting for maybe just a few of you uh, who would appreciate sharing what's going on in your life and what God's been speaking to you today. and they would just like to listen and then just pray with you. And so during this next song, you can uh, leave through these back doors, take a left down the, down the hall into the green room. They'll be waiting there for you. So let's just take this minute together, this worshipful moment that we have, to maybe write on our card, maybe sit quietly and pray and ask God to continue to, to transform our life as we seek him in building a legacy. You are the bride. 
on earth. You are Alpha and Omega. You are. You are comfort. You are refuge. You are love personified. You are kindness and compassion. You are. You are. at how we can best empower the next generation, uh, that you give us a perfect model. You're the perfect father to us, handing down blessing after blessing uh, that many times we don't even thank you for. So God, we thank you for the way that you father us so perfectly and ask that you would give us uh, the courage and the direction uh, to to empower the next generation, uh, to be strong followers uh, who run hard after you. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us?